at what point did you feel comfortable embracing that risk? I have to think in the e-commerce world, it was probably pretty lengthy of a process. But for my life, because I had never been an entrepreneur, it felt quite fast. This is the Be Helpful Podcast, where conversations with budding entrepreneurs prepare you for the wild journey of building a business or side hustle. I'm Boya Gadabayo, and today I chat with JD and Liza Kameen, co-founders of Paint True, a direct-to-consumer company that makes it easy to commission art. We talk about how a simple gift idea and challenges with the process led them to dip their toes into entrepreneurship. JD and Liza share their experience of gathering feedback before launching, how they leverage skills and tactics from their career to grow Paint True, and much more. Enjoy. How's the Sunday going? It is going good. We have our newborn over here. He's 11 weeks as of Friday. So if you hear him in the background, he's got a lot to say about Paint True and super excited about this too. No, it's awesome. Um, so so today I'm just uh, I'm happy to have the co-founders of Paint True, JD and Liza Kabeen. Um, so happy to have you guys on. I'm really excited to talk to you guys about your business, um, where you guys started, where you're going. Um, so maybe we just start off with um, some background and how you guys came across this passion and decided to start a business. Totally. So JD and I actually have known each other forever. Um, we grew up as next door neighbors in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, so when we started dating, I mean, we had just thousands of photos on our phone um, from our almost 10 year relationship together. Um, and just kind of scrolling back through our phone, we realized, you know, like a lot of these photos are amazing and just carry so many memories that we had created throughout this relationship together. Um, and I mean, there, we had some printed out and hung around, um, you know, our house and had given them as gifts in the past, but um, they just didn't feel very personal. Um, so when JD was down in flight school, actually, he um, was diagnosed with a rare nerve disorder in his face um, called trigeminal neuralgia, which is um, one of the most painful diseases you can be diagnosed with. And so um, he kind of turned to art as a way to cope with this new diagnosis. And it made just like showing his emotions really tough. So art kind of became an outlet for that as well. Um but because art became such an important part of our lives and our relationship. And then, um, you know, we were looking for a gift. He was looking for a gift for our first wedding anniversary. He kind of thought about, you know, well, we have all these memories living on our phone. We love art as a couple. How can we maybe bring this together as like an intersection point for a gift for her? Um, so he wanted to commission a painting of one of our wedding photos for um, an anniversary gift. And that's kind of how Paint True's idea initially started was, was this painting. Um, and the, the whole process of going through commissioning it through a gallery was just a nightmare. Um, he brought <laughs> he brought a picture of the um, wedding photo that he wanted to have painted to the gallery. Um, and they quoted him something that was going to be like four times what he wanted to pay. The lead time was going to be like four months. <laughs> and then they wanted to physically mail this photograph to like 10 different artists to get, um, you know, a better, I guess, quality painting done. So the whole process just seemed like really overwhelming, especially for a young millennial buyer. I mean, JD at this point was 26 years old. You know, he's used to buying those things online. And um, the process was just so difficult. 
um, that he was like, I don't even know where to begin doing this. And around the same time that JD um, was diagnosed with trigeminal neuralgia, we actually started an Instagram account where we'd showcase some of our favorite artists from around the world. It's mostly watercolor artists, but um, the account kind of organically grew over years and years and years. Um, but he ended up finding an artist through this account that we were running um, where we were featuring all different types of artists and, and just reached out to them through like, it was right when DMs came out on Instagram. He just DM'd one of the artists <laughs> and was like, hey, is there any chance you could paint this photograph for me? Um, and the artist was like, yeah, no problem. It was one of his favorite ones in Seoul, South Korea. Um, and then within like three weeks, we had this beautiful hand-painted watercolor version of one of our wedding photographs. And I mean, we were just blown away at the quality of it, how fast it was, how easy it was. Uh, and I mean, it was one of the most special gifts that I had received also. I mean, it was just this memory that had been living on our phone and it just brought it to life seeing it in art. And it was something that we could hang in our home and, and kind of, you know, start our married life off together with. And it was just so cool. And we kind of thought like, you know, there's nothing really like that in the market out there. It's, it's really difficult to commission artwork. It's really hard to find an artist that you like and you, you know, you want it done in a certain way. Sometimes it's very expensive. Um, you know, finding the right artist can be tough. And then just like the price too, it can be kind of high. Um, but just the ease of being able to connect with different artists that, you know, you identify with the style that they, they paint in and um, just the ease of buying online. We kind of came up with the idea from there. Um, so it's kind of a long-winded answer of how <laughs> it started. But um, yeah, that's, that's kind of how Paintrue began. I, I absolutely love it. I mean, I love, I love that it started with, you know, kind of a sad beginning turning into a passion to kind of deal with or, or manage or work through this experience, uh, this diagnosis. And it ultimately turned into a, you know, a realization that this beautiful gift idea um, was so hard to attain. Right. There's so, so many things just in the process. And I think that the fact that you guys were able to recognize that challenge, um, I think that is one of the best ways to generate an idea for a business. Um, so tell me a little bit about the first action. Like what was the first thing that you guys did? What was the first week like, the first month? Um, when you guys said we should do this as a business, uh, what was that first step? I'd love to take uh, that question. I'm JD, I'm uh, the CEO of Paintrue and obviously Liza's co-founder. Uh, the first step we took was getting a partner that knew how to do something like this. So obviously in a really um, controlled setting, we were able to transmit an image have an artist successfully paint it, ship it three quarters away around the world and have it on a timely schedule. But I knew that both from a logistics standpoint and a shipping and receiving standpoint, if this were to work, then we needed it to work from day one. And so the first thing I did was uh, contact an old friend who was both a professional artist, uh, went to the Naval Academy with me and has about a decade in shipping and receiving experience. And we sat down probably for three hours and we talked through all of the different ways that this could work, 
but more importantly, the thousand reasons this could fail. And we just decided to take a risk. And we talked through how much money we thought it would start with or how much it would require us to start with. And then that really was day one. And it wasn't signing up any artists on the platform. It wasn't buying anything. It was quite literally sitting down, having coffee and determining if the possibility of success outweighed the possibility of failure. And, it, and in our eyes, it certainly did. I think if, if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to go deeper on that because I love that you reached out to your network, started having these conversations. What was that process? How long did it take? At what point did you feel comfortable embracing that risk after the conversations that you had? That's a fantastic question. And I obviously why you asked it. Um, <laughs> it was, I have to think in the e-commerce world, it was probably pretty lengthy of a process, but for my life, because I had never been an entrepreneur, it felt quite fast. So I think probably within three weeks, we went from this experience that we thought other people would enjoy submitting imagery and having it hand painted to finding somebody that we felt really comfortable launching with, talking through all the different uh, opportunities for going direct to consumer with a product like this, and then actually contacting um, a technology team to build what we were looking for. So I'd say probably three weeks was not an MVP test, but getting something on paper that we were comfortable with launching. Yeah. I know what, what was really cool about this particular co-founder um, and this conversation that JD had is um, he's actually a professional artist as well. So not only did he have background in shipping and logistics, which is a huge part of this idea, um, but he's also has background as being an artist. And so, um, you know, it was important to get um, some perspective from an artist on, you know, is this idea something that artists would be interested in participating in? Is it a good idea from the artist's perspective rather than just the business perspective? Um, and he said, you know, it, it was a lot of times like artists sometimes will list pieces for um, a very high price and they only need one or two of them to sell throughout the year or every few months. But this is a way that artists can tap into an environment and make some money while they're waiting um, for some of their larger pieces to sell. That's that's really interesting because I hadn't even thought about um, kind of the economics of being an artist, right? Um, totally. This, this is this is absolutely a great opportunity for them to yeah. kind of find gigs or find work in between kind of those um, kind of seminal pieces that they're putting together. It, absolutely, and we work with a lot of like students and stuff too, like an emerging artist. So it doesn't even necessarily have to be you know, an, an artist that has a space in a gallery, we kind of have noticed that um, artists of all different levels and scales are interested in participating because it's just an additional way to make income. Yeah. Did, did anyone tell you guys that you were crazy? I mean, you guys are, you guys are doing the reverse of what almost every other industry is doing, especially, you know, photography and art, you know, so many things are moving into this digital world and, and in some ways, you're flipping that on the head um, of taking all of these fantastic and beautiful photos we're taking on our phones and making kind of a tangible kind of piece. Who told you were crazy? Or did everyone love the idea when you came up with it? I think that was 
something that really worried me was when we started just asking people what they thought about the idea, everyone was so positive and receptive about it. That really concerned me because I thought maybe we were just getting uh, totally lopsided feedback. Mm-hmm. It can be really hard for entrepreneurs to get unbiased feedback in the beginning when they're communicating to their normal peers, colleagues, and family. Um, so we got really, really positive feedback. And I don't think it was until I'm trying to think of when we even encountered anybody that told us we were totally crazy. I don't think we have yet, honestly. Yeah, I think it's just been kind of a question of how big is the company going to get? Is it kind of, you know, a side hustle, if you will, and something that, you know, artists and um, people will use as maybe gifts. But, um, you know, we see a larger opportunity for not only like direct to consumer, but business to business sales. Um, And I think maybe we've gotten a little bit of feedback there, like, okay, yeah, maybe maybe B2B isn't the route. Maybe it's just going to be a gift company and you're only going to, you know, go from Q4 where it's like your largest opportunity for sales. So we've gotten some of that. Um, but I mean, as the entrepreneurs behind the idea, you, you have to kind of stay grounded, but also know that like your idea is great and believe in it and kind of live and breathe it every day. Right. How do you guys, how do you guys define success, right? There, the, as you talk about, finding out how this business is going to scale long-term for you guys. Um, Did you guys walk into this with a vision of we've got to hit this number. And once we hit this number, we want to sell, or once we hit this number, you know, we can kick our feet up. Do you guys have a target or kind of a level of a success that you're aiming for? I think a really well-refined answer should probably like require me to say that, of course, yes, I have KPIs (laughs) and metrics that we need to hit that I monitor daily, but just the reality of running a startup when you're, and this is really cliche, but in the daily trenches, it's so customer focused that I feel like if we just took our eye off the customer for half a day, everything would, you know, just become really challenging. And so you become rather myopic at points, just concentrating on the day to day. I think, yeah, there are, you know, routes to profitability that will chase and there are certain performance indicators over the next 36 months that will, that would delight us if we hit, but it's, it's not something that I brief the team on every day or lies. And I talk about that's, you know, quarterly things that are put in an Excel spreadsheet for us. Right. No, I, I, I love that. And, I don't think that there has to be a refined answer, right? I think it's the honest answer. Um, and mm-hmm. you know, you you mentioned you mentioned your team. Could you kind of tell me a little bit about how you found people um, and how you decided which you know, roles within the organization you guys needed to fill first, um, and how you went about finding those folks? I'd love to. Um, I'm married to one of them. So that was an easy <laughs> find. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, but joking aside, teaming uh, with Eliza on this has been a joy. We're both creative in very different areas. And so we're kind of a balancing act, which is great. Uh, I met all of our partners while at the Naval Academy and before. We're 100% military owned. So our chief operating officer, his name is Eric. I've known him for many years. He's um, a fantastic business partner. He 
played for the Patriots. And then he's also a professional artist and was a uh, really high performing recruiter for the Navy. So he kind of attracts talent also, which is really helpful personality trait. Mm-hmm. And then our chief information officer I grew up with, and he's been one of my best friends for two decades, but he's also just a brilliant person. He went to the Naval Academy. He was a intelligence officer in the Marines and then went to NYU and got a master's in cyber engineering. And then uh, was just accepted on a full-time ride to MIT Sloan and their machine learning um, program, which is really cool. And then our other co-founder uh, is a Wharton grad and a Goldman Sachs alumnus and came on as our CFO uh, and a co-founder not too long after launch. So it's a really, it's a high-performing team. It's kind of hard to keep the wheels on the bus when, you know, uh, everyone is so good at what they do. But I think that's one of the blessings that early on in a company, when you assemble a team that's so high performing, you can kind of just look back and say, wow, we've really assembled a team that's fantastic. Yeah, no, that, that, that's amazing. And, 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 you know, you don't have to give specifics. I, I'm interested with that team that you just described, um, kind of, you, you have a high powered team from what it sounds like. And, and what resources did you guys start with um, to launch Paint True? Did you go get a loan? Um, was this all self-funded? Uh, did people just take massive salary cuts? Um, you know, how, how did you guys approach that um, at, at launch? Kind of a little bit of all three. Um, and it, it, I guess it started with just a belief that this could work. Much more palpable for sure. And then it was a combination of pooling savings and one of the benefits of that is that you have a massive large organization that has a scrupulous person with each and every dollar. And um, I think that's one of the benefits of how we've structured our cap table so far and the money raised so far is that we, we don't look at raising money as like a celebration. We look at it as a really, really big obligation to our investors. And so we don't smooth over any issues early on with a company we solve it with you know really building work instead of losing over cash. I think that's gonna pay dividends in the long run. So about as bootstrap as you can get. No, but I, I I really like that concept of you know taking kind of this funding as an obligation, you know, to the investors. Um I, I that is a very I'm going to have to noodle on that one for a little bit. That's, that's it's, it's not, yeah. it's not a celebration. It's an obligation. I like that. Yeah. I mean, when it's your money too, you care a lot more about making it go further and putting it to the right places. Um, so I think that was a big part of it as well. It's like, you know, this is our money. We believe in it. Like let's make it go as far as we can before we start bringing in capital from elsewhere. Right. So you guys have, have a business that has been recognized and a number of publications, you know, Forbes, Cosmopolitan. I think you guys were doing you know, fantastic stuff. Um, how did those articles and kind of that public relations kind of develop, right? Like those are those are very notable publications, and they can really accelerate a business and their exposure. Um, how did those things come about? Absolutely. So. I think from very early on, um, I mean, I'm just like a 
a big buyer of consumer products. And like, I do a lot of my shopping on Instagram. I'm pretty familiar with like up and coming brands and then positioning in the market just as a consumer. Um, so I realized from the beginning, like how important it is to position your brand in a way that's going to get reception into the market and just be a name that people know and associate with certain traits. Um, and that, and how far that can like propel your business as you're starting out. Um, and then JD actually, um, he's in the Marines right now and kind of wrapping his time up now and going to be moving into painter full-time shortly, but, um, his role in the Marines has actually been in public relations. So, um, he has been like a huge advocate of, we need to get PR and, um, knows a lot about how that process works. Um, cause it, it isn't the most intuitive thing. And a lot of people think, you know, I'd rather spend my money on marketing up, up, out at the gate and that sort of thing. But, um, being in that field, he really knew how far PR can push your company, um, rather than you saying, you know, our company is great and just kind of pushing ads out getting that third party validation from another source saying, Hey, you know, I think that this product is great. Forbes says this product is great. Cosmopolitan says this product is great. Buzzfeed says this gift is something you must give that just goes so much further with buyers than, you know, me as Liza Kameen saying this product is great. So I think we realized that really early on and, and recognize the importance of getting in some of these publications and how much that can impact your brand and just the brand awareness too. I mean, they, these different outlets have, you know, millions of readers and just getting your name out there can really accelerate that growth. And I think we got, um, pretty lucky between realizing that early on and then also JD knowing kind of how this works and how to communicate with editors from his time doing this in Marines and, um, you know, positioning our story the right way for each of these different outlets, depending on who the writer was and what sort of message we were trying to get across at dirt, dirt, certain parts of, in the year. And I think to, to add a little uh, kind of like the tactics behind it, there's obviously a ton of different PR tactics, but one of my favorite is just like a generalization that reporters and writers are totally normal and real people. They really dislike going to work on Mondays, just like us. They dislike answering tons of emails, just like entrepreneurs and you know people working a corporate job. They're totally normal, uh, just friendly people. And a way to get their attention is sending them a product in the mail that they can hold in their hands and talk to you you know, over the phone about. And so that was one of our strategies early on, sending a product to a reporter with a handwritten note saying like, hey, we're small, you've never heard of us, but I'd love for you to look at this painting that we did for you. And uh, here's our phone number. And slowly but surely, we started getting calls back. Yeah, and that to that tactic too, it was really cool because our, our company, you know, basically paints your favorite photos. So all these reporters have their own Instagram accounts. So we kind of would go through these reporters' Instagram accounts and say, oh, this girl has a dog she clearly loves. Let's paint the dog. Or, you know, this person like vacations here, like loves to travel. Let's paint this beautiful travel image that she captioned, my favorite photo ever taken. Um, so things like that and just kind of the emotional tie of it, I think that also really helped. But um, that was something that I never thought thought of, but, you know, it was really, really great tactic that JD was able to pull in from having backgrounds in the area. That's a, that's an absolutely brilliant tactic. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, it's the, every business, you know, I, I, I've listened to a number of 
podcasts and books and every business talks about that non-scalable activity that you do up front. And I think, you know, identifying valuable um, target customers, i.e. journalists, um, Mm -hmm. to to try out your product, I think is, is just absolutely brilliant that's that's uh kudos <laughs> for, for, for with those that, that idea for honestly yeah, i'm not the last one to think of it so but it, it definitely works yeah and and also just like doing your research on the reporter was something that jd you know was really great at doing he you know would study their instagram accounts know it's important to them we'd get that painted We'd also look at the types of things they were writing about. You know, is it a gift guide? Is that something we would want to, you know, put our product into? Is it, are they more interested in impacts of art or are they more interested in home decor? And so we would position those um, different pitches to those um, different journalists based on like, you know, what they're writing about. So it wasn't just something that was totally out of left field and we're saying our company is really cool, write about us. It was something that was directly relevant to what they like to write about. Right. And I think that that speaks to the genuine, the genuineness of it. I think that there's, uh, it, it could be cheap if you did what you just described, which is just send it to them and say, hey, write about us. But the fact yeah. that you spent the time to research them, understand their likes, I, I think more than just having an article written about you, um, I would imagine that you guys created a relationship with those journalists and now it becomes a two-way dialogue in the future for you guys because you know about their dog you know about their interests you know about the things that they generally research and write about absolutely and when that opportunity for that article you know falls in their lap with that email it seems like the perfect opportunity for them because it's exactly what they want to be writing about right right you've done the creative thinking for them basically yeah i i i love it um, you mentioned you mentioned that JD is 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 wrapping up his time, you know, with the Marines. We appreciate your service, um, and that makes sense to you as well, Liza, because um, nice. <laughs> as a, as a sibling as a sibling of someone also in the military or or recently retired, it is a family sacrifice. So so thank you guys. Um, tell me about starting and running and growing this business part time. Um, how do you guys find the time? How are you integrating kind of life and having a, a new child and your jobs? How's how's all of that coming together? I mean, I can't even sugarcoat it. It's like, it's like brutal to do. <laughs> um, the benefits of having a stable income when you're in the growth phase is great. And I think, you know, a lot more people that are working in corporate jobs or steady careers could start something like this. And then there becomes a point where it gets, it gets really difficult when you're growing uh, just because you wish you had, at least for me as a Marine officer, I wish I had more hours in the day to devote, you know, back to my job. And I will like always put my Marines first. So the, the company has to sacrifice mm-hmm. the Marine Corps will never sacrifice while I'm active duty at all. So it comes back to me turning back to my partners and saying, I really need your assistance this week um, for X, Y, and Z. I think it's presented a, a great amount of um, like hope for us because we feel that entrepreneurship can give you a different path if, if it's something that you enjoy. And so 
I certainly don't feel locked into a career now that I'm transitioning into, which I, which I think is really nice. Um, Liza's employer has been incredible. She's been able to apply a ton of the values and the um, leadership lessons from her career into painter right away. And the same goes for me. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely is difficult to balance everything. I mean, <laughs> right now I'm working full time. I'm doing part time business school at Michigan Ross. Um, I'm a new mom <laughs> and I'm running clean through. So, I, I mean, I just I echo the not having enough hours in the day. But I think what's really important is just building a team that is able to do all of that stuff while you're kind of managing a lot of other things. Um, in the early stages, I mean, JD and I were both working and we were running Pain True, um, but some of our other co-founders are actually full-time Pain True. So that has been huge is being able to lean on them and say, okay, we can do some of these like more strategic things in like the hours we have to give, but we really need your help with like the tactical, like, you know, packing and shipping the paintings. Um, and so it's, it really is building a team that's capable in the areas that you're lacking in, whether it be, you know, just the knowledge, the time, um, and, you know, anything else that you can, you can build your team up that it's just going to go so much further in developing your business. And I think like, if you were just to list the things that you're involved in, you know, it would, at a surface, it would look incredibly packed. Your schedule would just look totally crammed, but you've made it work in your life. So I, you know, Liza and I, definitely will not say that we're more busy than anybody else. No, you, you make it work. I mean, it's just an adjustment. It's like your, your life with, you know, adjusting to having a baby or your life adjusting to working and doing business school. Like, I mean, you can add more and more stuff to your plate, but it's like you, you somehow adjust and that's the kind of the resiliency of just like, you know, the human like body. But I mean, it's, you just make it work. Um, and then at a certain point, you know, when you're, startup starts doing well enough that you can take that step away, you know, you, you take that leap. Um, but I think it is, it is really important to have some sort of steady income while you're building a business. I think a lot of people kind of try to dive in maybe too early in some startups. Um, we definitely err on the side of caution there, um, just because it, it is important to, you know, make sure you're fully ready before transitioning full-time. Um, so I mean, I'm still going to be working full-time and JD is going to go in full-time to paint true. And so we're kind of taking those steps when it makes sense for us. What do you guys do just out of curiosity to, to just say, okay, I need, I need to just step away for a second. Oh, that's, I, I think that is a great question for us, but I think that's a question like so many people are asking themselves right now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I think it's exacerbated by COVID. Uh, certainly it is here in California for us. Liza and I were just saying the other day, like, what have we done recently to make sure that we're stepping away and taking time for ourselves? Because after the coronavirus, it's really difficult to get your, like your normal relaxation where you used to. Liza and I loved going to workout classes together probably five times a week, but those are completely gone out here. And so that's been a challenge for us, for sure, especially when you pile on entrepreneurship and a baby on top. We, we've we decided just to totally change the way our life is structured. So we bought a house in a different state. We're moving to the panhandle of Florida. We're really excited because we found that what brings us a ton of joy is spending days on the beach. And that's going to allow us to get uh, 
a little bit further away from our daily commitments. I think that's probably the biggest thing we've realized in the past year is that we, we gain a lot of energy and um, peace from the place we live and what we can do in our downtime. And I think it revolves a lot around uh, water. Yeah. And I think it's also like kind of setting boundaries for you, like, you know, with your co-founders just saying, okay, Sunday is going to be our day where like everybody just like takes a break. Because with the startup, especially when you're doing it on top of other things, the only time you really have is the weekend sometimes. So, I mean, you definitely have to be firm and like, okay, these are the hours I'm going to be available like this day and just sticking to it or else you, it can be all consuming. Um, you know, you can just spend all of your hours on it and you just, you really have to make that time for yourself or else it's, it's going to absolutely knock you off your feet. And you'll know too, you can spend the next week editing a podcast yep. and whatever, would every listener notice that last two and a half hours of work you did editing, or could you leave that last two and a half hours and give that back to your partner and nobody notices. Maybe that's how you've learned to do it. And I think it's been a challenge for Liza and us to, to find how to do that, but we're starting to get in that rhythm now. I, I, I absolutely love that because you're, you're a hundred percent right. I've, I've spent a lot of time, especially, you know, in, in the midst of the pandemic, really auditing my time. And, and thinking back on what brings what brings joy, um, what do I what type of flexibility do I need personally for my own mental health? And I think I think people are getting a taste of that flexibility. I love the fact that you're saying, well, the location really helps us. There's a self awareness that comes with you know knowing what brings your you personally some happiness and. Um, I think everyone, whether they're an entrepreneur or they're considering starting a side hustle and knowing what drives you and knowing what brings you joy, um, yeah. I think is an incredible starting point. Um, so yeah, that, no, thank you for that. Yeah. And I mean, it sounds really cliche, but I, I saw some quote that was like, you can't pour from an empty cup. I'm like, wow, it's so true. I mean, you have to fill yourself up before you're able to like pour yourself completely into like, you know, your other priorities. And I think that's pretty applicable to like any job you're working, anything you're trying to manage. I mean, you have to take care of yourself first, or you're just going to get so depleted that you're not able to put the energy into those other things that you're trying to. So I, I like asking this question to, to, to every guest um, with paint true. When did you realize you figured it out? Or have you figured it out? I need a few seconds to think. That is a really good question. Because <laughs> I really want to I really want to avoid giving a cliche answer. I really want to give a truthful answer. I think uh, almost at least weekly. I don't think it's daily for me. I think probably weekly it fluctuates what I feel like we've figured out and what new gap we've found. Um, we'll feel really comfortable about an accounting software and we'll roll it out and we'll feel like, yes, we figured that out. But then the accounting software opens up a whole new thing that we're finding that we have a lot of tax complexities between countries. So that's a new challenge that we'll have to deal with this week. It's almost that's kind of like the joy of starting a company is that you're always busy, at least for somebody whose brain that you like to be busy. There's always those things to 
figure out. But I'd say probably weekly, we figured something out and now we need to figure something new out. And it's probably different for Liza. She works on the creative side of things. Yeah, I mean, it, it also just, <laughs> I think that's a, it's a really good answer. I mean, I, I don't think we have it all figured out yet. But I think that that is the joy of running a business is you're always just trying to figure out the next thing. Your brain is always like, what is the next thing we need to be figuring out? Which for that personality type that likes to think that way, it's awesome. But it's like you're, you're never going to be fully figured out, I think, in running a startup. I also think it's like while you're figuring it out and running a company, I'm really worried and I think about it a lot that in like five years, I'll look back and be like, wow, we built a really cool company. But I like totally missed it because I was so busy figuring things out. I really hope that I'm not 35 and look back and be like, wow, I totally missed running a startup because I just didn't take the opportunity to really admire what my co-founders were doing, the product that our customers were receiving. because I was just so busy figuring out little things. You know, that's a good, that's a good point because I feel like you are kind of in a mindset of you need to take a step back and kind of enjoy the present at the same time and be like, wow, okay, we did figure that out. And that was great. And kind of acknowledging those wins rather than like on to the next thing. Something I need to work on. <laughs> so, so, so I'll ask this question. Have you, have you enjoyed the process or do you love the process? I really love it because I feel like missing with like the creative side of my brain that I couldn't sink my teeth into. I think any like 27 to 30 year old can feel that in their career where they're like, okay, I have ownership of my job, but if I really wanted to roll something out, would I be allowed to and how quickly could I make it happen? There's probably red tape stopping you until you get to like um, a more senior position. With a startup, it's quite the opposite. It's like if you're not rolling something out or making a new initiative come to fruition really quickly, you're just going to fail. You're just going to go out of business. So it's like if you want to flex that side of your brain, it can be quite a relief because you can actually do it. And so for me, it was it was wonderful. I enjoyed that part. Yeah. Is that having the ownership over stuff that you don't necessarily have in like your current work job? I mean... I think it's just, yeah, like that extra energy you have for wanting to do more, but maybe like the scope of what your job is currently, you're just not there yet, or there's not that position open yet. Um, or you just like kind of want to challenge yourself in different ways or, you know, grow some skills in different areas. A startup can be a really great way to do that and lean into those things that you really enjoy and try to try. And you're trying to figure out like, am I good at this? Is this something I want to be doing? Whereas a, uh, a corporate job, it's like, you know, you could lose your job where, whereas a a startup, I mean, you kind of have to figure it out or your company is going to fail. But, you know, if it fails, it's on you. It's your, it's something that you own rather than like, you're going to lose your job. <laughs> it's a lot like you. There is something in your brain ticking. Saying, yep. I need to flex the side of my brain that wants to start a podcast. I have complete control of my podcast. I can pick who's on it. I can edit it the way I want. And the timeline is totally up to me. I can choose the hosting platform. And so you're exercising that part of your brain, which is awesome. So somewhere in your life was wanting, you know, wanting you to, to make that change. And it was the same exact thing for us at Painter. I, I argue that it's almost the exact same muscle. Yeah, I think so. I think it's just noticing like there's something missing and I want, I want to work on developing skills in this certain area. I have an interest in this certain area and I want to test it out. 
Right. I, I, I heard, I heard a quote the other day and I absolutely loved it. They said, um, they said at one point in your life, you've got to bet on yourself. And it really stood out to me because, you know, whether it's a podcast or a business or kind of taking your hobby to the next level, I do think that it's, it's this concept of, you know, experience the risk. Mm-hmm. kind of just kind of wrestle with it. It may not be for you. It may not be something that you want to do full time. You may not want to do it without a safety net. But, um, you know, like you said, that part of your brain, just experience it, get that perspective, because um, it, it could be life altering, honestly. Um, yeah, I love that perspective. I mean, experience the risk. Because, yeah, I mean, the worst that can happen is you fail or you realize, okay, this wasn't for me, but it's, it's kind of like your own safe space because you have control over it to try mm-hmm. something new rather right. than, you know, trying something new and failing in your job or something like that. So, so what misconceptions about entrepreneurship did you guys have before starting and, or what things did you wish you, you, you knew when you started? Um, this journey? I think um, my biggest misconception is almost like when you're growing up and when you think to yourself, oh, when I'm 30, I'll have it all solved. I'll be an adult. I'll understand everything. And now that I'm 30, it's not that case. It's not the case at all. And so like for starting a company, I always thought like you'd be presented one day with like the perfect setting, perfect scenario, all the stars aligned. And you were like, yep, this is it. And you've got it all figured out and launch. When it's so opaque when you're starting, you have no guidance, especially when you're in an industry that hasn't really been done before. There's, you cannot Google how to do it. You can Google the fundamentals of how to start a company, how to start an LLC, how to hire a lawyer on retainer. But there's no day-to-day playbook for a direct consumer custom artwork company. And so we were really doing it on the fly. So... I think one of my biggest misconceptions in the beginning was feeling like I was going to be really, really comfortable. Like it was all going to be solved day one and we were just going to go from there. That was my experience. Yeah. You know, that, that is really interesting. I mean, there's no like how to on a lot of this stuff. It's kind of like trial and error. You figure it out as you go. Um, And I, I think you just have to be comfortable with like feeling like, okay, we're going to mess up a couple times along the way. It's not going to go perfectly. You don't really know what you're doing starting off and that's okay. Um, you know, I think that's, that's just kind of part of the process. You just have to like be okay with that. And the data for like the success of startups doesn't become overwhelmingly founder friendly through the first 36 months. I think you're at 95% failure rate through the first year and it drops to I'm going to butcher their percentage, but 68% failure rate for the next 24 months. I mean, it's really, really likely that the startup will go out of business. And so if you're comfortable with that, and that directly applied to my, you know, misconception that you were going to have it all figured out, I was still comfortable with this huge percentage and huge chance that this is going to fail in the 36 month period. Then that kind of made it a little more comfortable for us, I think. But if you're, if that percentage is going to drive you wild, during that 36 month period, it's going to exacerbate whatever misconceptions you thought you had about starting a company, I think. Yeah. And, and also all the data that is out there about how to start a business, it's like, 
I mean, it's so different for each industry and each idea. It's like, you know, maybe some of it is applicable, but a lot of it isn't going to be applicable. And if you have an idea that's different or something that hasn't really been done before, then you're just kind of starting with nothing. Um, So I think this idea that, you know, your Be Helpful podcast is so great too, because I mean, just hearing how other people did it and, you know, what resources are out there you might not know about is just such a great idea because there really is no playbook like you said I mean you're just trying to figure it out and you're just like am I doing this right who knows and you got to be okay with that you're you're absolutely right that's that's I I think that those these conversations are valuable because you know no business is a hundred percent the same but you never know what quotes what answer to a question is going to trigger something in someone's mind to help them solve that next problem. Um, and so, I, I, you know, I think that what you guys have been doing, you know, clearly is working in many ways. Um, and I think that's going to be helpful to others. One of the questions that popped in my mind as, as, as you were answering the question is, you know, what mentors or advisors have you guys leaned on in this process? My dad ran a very boutique eye practice in Baltimore, and he also wanted to scratch the entrepreneurial niche. And so he did that in different ways throughout his career. It was really cool to see. Some had great results and some failed. And I think I always watched that growing up without directly correlating it to wanting to become an entrepreneur, but I always just thought it was cool how he was taking little risks um, during his career. I don't think that starting it, I leaned on like one mentor to be like, I have to solve this problem. Can you want some advice here? I probably did what most entrepreneurs do and listen to how I built this podcast. That was incredibly helpful. I don't really, uh, I don't care too much for like the classic internet marketing podcasts really. Uh, just doesn't dive too well with my personality. I know a lot of people gain a ton of insight from those. But for me, I'm just, uh, I like hearing the raw stories. And I think Guy Raz does a fantastic job with how I built this. That's probably where I got most of my like um, entrepreneurial mentorship, I think. There's tons of these successful entrepreneurs out there that have no idea who I am, but they actually did a great job mentoring me. <laughs> That's a great Yeah, I mean, yeah, just listening to those stories. I think it's, yeah, it's just hearing from other people that like, okay, I failed along the way, but I also built Starbucks and like, you know, my story, I didn't start out as like the CEO of this massive company. This is like how long it took me. These are all like the, you know, mental blocks I hit along the way and like times I failed. And I think those stories are just so helpful to hear from other entrepreneurs. And it just helps you keep going when you feel like, okay, maybe this isn't going to work. Can you share a little bit about your decision-making process, um, especially as kind of a husband and wife couple? How do you guys work through uh, disagreements and decisions pertaining to the business? I mean, to be honest, we we do see eye to eye on a lot of issues and just things with the business. So we're lucky in that regard. Um, but there are definitely things where we're like, we should be doing it this way. I mean, I, I think it's just, you kind of have to like pick your battles and take 
things one step at a time. I think I have all these like grand ideas that I just want to jump into right away. And JD has to be like, okay, well, to do that, we have to do this and this and this first and kind of like, and it's this balancing act of like the creative side of things and like the strategic with also like the tactical management. I think that kind of plays nicely together in the way we work and just kind of work as a married couple also. I mean, we both kind of carry both of those personality traits, but we're pretty good at pulling to both of those when one person's going big with the idea, the other person's like, okay, well, what do we like actually have to do to make this happen? And like, does it make sense? And kind of talking through it and being open and honest about it has been really helpful for us and not taking it personal either. Not like, okay, this idea is bad. It's like, okay, it's just not a right, the right time for it right now. And here's why. What I really like about what you just described is you, you give every idea, no matter who it comes from, the space to grow. Mm -hmm. You also evaluate, okay, to make this thing happen, these three things need to happen. And and you guys can both reassess, oh, well, I I don't think that we're going to get 100 customers in the next 30 days to make this happen. So maybe we'll do this one next year, right? Like, I think think that evaluating that process uh, or kind of extrapolating kind of what you described into a um, a process of you you recognize the, the idea, you talk it through, you figure out kind of the pros and cons, what needs to happen to make it work. Um, and then of course you bring in the data to say, is this actually a really good idea that we should pursue or should we table it and put it in the backlog? Yeah. And a lot of times too, you'll kind of come to the realization of like, maybe this idea isn't great, you know, and just having that space to kind of openly talk it through with a partner that's like, not going to just shut it down immediately or not going to judge you and kind of let you kind of work through it. I think we do do that really well with each other. So what challenge are you guys working through today? Like what's the, what's the, what's the thing that by next Friday you guys are going to be feeling, I think we figured this out (laughs) or I need to do some more Googling and YouTubing. It's preparing for quarter four. I think as a gift to get the majority of our customers give our product as a gift that we could easily spend six months getting ready for Q4. It's only our second one in business. And so um, we want to get it right. But when you think through every single different vertical of the company, every different area that we're working actively to solve for customers, there's a host of things in there that could generate months of work. So Q4 has already started for us. And we just, we're going to wrap up Q1 here in three days. Um, but probably on a more granular level, um, there's so many applications that do so many things for startups. It's wild. And when I look at all of the different applications that we use, it's just highlighting, okay, which ones do we actually need? Which ones are just running ghost and not actually doing anything? Um, because that's, at some point, you're going to have so much tech involved that you're basically just a brick and mortar again. And you're paying so much monthly for applications that you're just negating this wonderful e-commerce experience that doesn't require you to have a brick and mortar shop. 
So yeah, it's, a, it's like the, the running of the business. Like, how do we make it run smoothly with like the right tools at the right cost? Absolutely. All right, let me let me round out with a couple closing questions. Um, so, what question do you guys think I should ask the next guest? Oh man, that that's a good question. How do you think other people describe you? Oh, that, that's a good question. I always, I've always liked that one. Who are some entrepreneurs that you guys that you guys think that I should have on the podcast, and or um, kind of types of entrepreneurs you'd be interested in hearing on the podcast? There's a really cool startup um, out of HBS that I think would be really fun to talk to. They take duct tape and implant. Uh, kind of a digital QR code that allows construction workers to access a portal with all of the construction notes. So you can wrap a, a pipe in this code, scan it, and then inside of this, you can see all of the things that are um, needed to complete the project. I've always found it fascinating. He was also a Marine officer, and I think they just went to market about a month ago. So I think he'd be really cool to talk to. Yeah. You've also talked to this startup out of Wharton called uh, Hello Ralphie, and they're basically like virtual vets, which I think is such a great idea. I mean, there's like virtual doctors and stuff all over the place now, but they're certainly for, like a virtual vet. And sometimes your questions about your pet are pretty simple and can be done virtually, so they could be cool. Um, and then one other um, person from Bucknell actually um, surprisingly baked. She actually worked... Um, at Marriott or Hilton or one of those big um, hotel chains. And she lost her job because of COVID and she started baking um, treats, but they have like a surprise in the middle of them. So it's like a cookie and you bite into it and you don't know like what's going to be in the middle of it. And so it's a surprise, which is kind of the whole point of the company. Um, and she's started selling her stuff locally in DC now and kind of has this really great brand strategy um, she's just like a really great person to talk to too. So, uh, I can connect you with her as well. Appreciate it. Those are the, those all sound very fascinating, great people to talk to. So I'd love to have them on. Um, I, w I eventually want to set up a process where, you know, people invite themselves on the podcast, honestly, yeah. <laughs> like, I, I think it's, it, everyone has experience to share. And I think that that experience, you never know how it's going to resonate with folks and, um, you know, who am I to say, oh, no, only these stories are interesting or only these stories matter. I mean. Yeah, you can learn so much. Like, I think you said it really well. Like, you don't know what somebody's going to say that's going to spark that idea that that one person made it. I thought that was really well said and just so true. So you just don't know, like, how somebody's story may apply to, like, something that you're working in that can be completely different. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you found this episode helpful, share it with a friend and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. Tweet us at BeHelpfulPod. Follow us on Instagram or TikTok at BeHelpful underscore. Lastly, if you want to be helpful to others and share your experience as an entrepreneur, email us at BeHelpfulPodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.